Well, I'm glad to be with you, and thanks very much for the invitation to be here. I've been here a couple of times before, two or three times. I'm trying to remember whether I've actually preached at an evening service. I think maybe once. I have. have I? Thank you. I'm glad there is a, a one-man fan club in the front row. <laughs> uh, but I, I'm truly glad to be with you. Now, I'm going to be reading from the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 1, verses 1 to 18. And I think I will read it from the screen in front of me because I forgot to check before coming here what version would be coming up on PowerPoint. I don't know about you, but I sometimes find myself a bit distracted if one version is up on PowerPoint and the minister is reading from another version. So it's not that I don't have a Bible. This is the proof I have a Bible with me. But uh, I'm going to read what's in front of me here. The words of the teacher, son of David, king of Jerusalem. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. What does man gain from all his labor at which he toils under the sun? Generations come, generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises, and the sun sets and hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and turns to the north, round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, there they return again, All things are wearisome, more than one can say. The eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one can say, look, this is something new? It was here already, long ago. It was here before our time. There is no remembrance of men of old. And even those who are yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow. I, the teacher, was king over Israel in Jerusalem. I devoted myself to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under heaven. What a heavy burden! God has laid on men. I have seen all the things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless, a chasing after the wind. What is twisted cannot be straightened. What is lacking cannot be counted. I thought to myself, look, I have grown and increased in wisdom more than anyone who has ruled over Jerusalem before me. I have experienced much of wisdom and knowledge. Then I applied myself to the understanding of wisdom and also of madness and folly. But I learned that this too is a chasing after the wind. For with much wisdom comes much sorrow. The more knowledge, the more grief. And you will be wondering why you are having such a cheerful reading this evening. But may God 
bless his word to us, give us understanding. What is going on in this book? Why is everything meaningless? The old translation, and even one of the newer ones, instead of meaningless, has vanity of vanities. The original word can be translated in different ways, but the picture is that of something like smoke disappearing, uh, wisps disappearing, just things never remaining stable. Meaningless, vain, instability. Things go round and round and round. But what is the problem exactly? Well, the problem actually is highlighted in the third verse here. What does someone gain by all the toil at which they toil under the sun? Work can be meaningless. When you go through the book of Ecclesiastes, you find that uh, the author is saying that with work, uh, the labor of your hands, you may work but never eat the fruit of your labor. You may labor in vain in that respect. Or you may work and may amass a fortune and the person who comes after you, the son or daughter who takes over your possessions, may blow it completely. Anyway, says the book of Ecclesiastes, when you look at why people work, the reason is often envy. They envy other people who've got somewhere and they want to get somewhere themselves. And he says, I've seen people with possessions, but no power to enjoy their possessions. And one last thing he says is that what he's noticed is that around work there can be a lot of oppression. There can be injustice towards some workers. So one thing which for him makes life meaningless is that when you think of what you do, it's all so unstable, all so precarious, all so uncertain, in the end, and you might notice it more when you come to the end of your days than in the middle of your days, but you can feel it in the middle of your days and even in youth. In the end, everything becomes meaningless. Why did I do all this? What was the point? When it comes right down to it, what is the point of it? And the second thing bothers the author, and it is this, that death is the great equalizer. It comes to everyone. Soon or late, suddenly or after a period of expectation. And so, in the end, death robs life of meaning because it can come so suddenly, unexpectedly, but however it comes, it'll come certainly. So, what really is the point of it all? There's a striking sentence amongst many striking sentences in the book. Chapter 9 and verse 11, as a matter of fact. Time and chance happens to everything. 
Everything is subject to time. And everything is subject to chance. And that is the world. And that's the life in which you and I are implicated. We're in the middle of it. So you might say, well, yes, uh, okay, uh, we know that goes on. But uh, God is the answer. We've been singing praises to God And I'm sure that Ecclesiastes, and some of you will be familiar with it, I'm sure that Ecclesiastes somewhere says that God is the answer. Actually, you know what Ecclesiastes says at the beginning? God is the problem. Why do I say that? Well, one of the verses I read earlier, or from this is a slightly different version, I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven, It is an unhappy business that God has given us to be busy with. This is the way he has set up the world. I didn't choose for my work to be meaningless. I didn't choose for death to come. That is the way God has set things up. God is the problem, not the answer. In fact, he puts this rather more strongly. Verse 10 of chapter 3. I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with, God has made everything beautiful in its time. God has put eternity into man's heart yet so that humans cannot find out what God has done from beginning to the end. He's put eternity in the human hearts, but such that you can't find out what God is up to. God is the cosmic trickster. He's playing games. Thus, Ecclesiastes. And so this is the result of wisdom and the search for wisdom. And if you follow the whole book, Ecclesiastes says, well, it's better to be wise than to be stupid, but uh, wisdom doesn't help you very much either because the wisest thing for you to know is that you can know nothing. Socrates, a famous figure in the history of philosophy, philosophy, a philosopher in ancient Greece. It was said of Socrates, he was the wisest man in Athens. Why? Because he knew how much he didn't know. That's what made him wise. It's because he realized his own ignorance that he was so wise. And in his way, the book of Ecclesiastes, the author would have said, well, yes, I think that is right the way it is. So, does Ecclesiastes have any resolution at all? Well, yes. A couple of times the book says, well, look, in the middle of all this, the best you can do is forget the quest for meaning. Forget that. Just eat and drink, and be contented, and find contentment in your work. That'll do it for you. So so don't ask the big questions. They won't get you anywhere. Eat, and drink, and be contented, and be contented in your work, whatever that work is. It may be official paid employment, it may not. Just be contented in it. Now, I don't know how you react when you hear that, but I guess you might react as I react, and say, well... Right, that doesn't help. Why? Because some people can't eat, some people can't drink, some people don't have work, some people not contented. 
So, author of Ecclesiastes, Solomon, whoever was behind it, tell us, if you can't find contentment in eat and drink, in food and drink, and work, what then have you got to say to us? What's the answer? To which the author of Ecclesiastes would say, well, there's nothing to be said. What is going on? This is the word of God. This is scripture. We're studying it on a Sunday evening in Orangefield. What's happening? It's a very, very clever piece of work. And the clue is what is said in the last verses. Right at the end, we begin to realize what's going on here. So I'm going to read the last verses of the book, which is chapter 12. Besides being wise, the preacher or the teacher, you can translate it either way, also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The teacher or the preacher sought to find words of delight and uprightly he wrote words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. What does that mean? Well, the picture is of the way in which cattle were being moved along in the ancient Near East. Now, I don't know if it still happens in different parts of the world. (coughs) Excuse me, some of you may know. But the way sometimes they got cattle or ox to move along was they would have a long stick with nails and they would prick the sides of the animal with the nails, not so to give them huge pain, but give them just enough to be moving on. That's what Ecclesiastes is doing. He's trying to get us to move on, to think. Pricking the sides of the animal. That's like pricking the mind. Think, think, think. Get it right. Move on. Consider. And then we read this. The end of the matter. All has been heard. Fear God. And obey his commandments. For this is the whole duty of human beings. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. In other words, Ecclesiastes is saying that. What is going to give meaning to your life is not any pattern that you can discern in your life, but your obedience to God. That is what's going to give your life meaning. I wonder how many of you have asked yourselves the question, and tonight I suspect some of you will be asking yourself the question, what is the meaning of what is happening to me? I don't get it. I can't see the pattern. At one stage, I thought I knew exactly what was happening, and I had this hope and expectation, and it all went wrong, and I can't make sense of it. When I look at my present circumstances or look back at my life, it it just doesn't seem to, to hold together with any sense what is the meaning of it all. What we're doing there is searching for a pattern. 
Now, I'm not saying that you can't find meanings for particular events and passages of your life and things. There can be those things, but it can never be a final understanding because you can't tell what's going to happen to you. Take the example of people who've trained for years and years and years to do some job. And I'm thinking of one example at the moment, trained for eight or ten years to do a job, trained very well, and went out to India to do the job with, within two months, had a diagnosis of cancer. Made him completely unable to work. Long, long, long struggle, though he was in the end uh, victorious in that struggle. So, you know, what's the point? I've had all this preparation. Ecclesiastes is very liberating. It says to you, it doesn't work like that. You cannot, within the structure of your life, figure out what is happening in your life. You might figure out bits of it here and there. But life is one long bend. You don't know what is coming around that bend. And therefore, says the author of Ecclesiastes, so this is the end of it all. This is why I've been telling you all this. This is why I've been talking these pessimistic terms about work and death and all those things. Fear God and obey his commandments. For this is the whole duty of humans, for God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Obedience gives meaning. My life has its meaning, not from a pattern I can see, but from my willingness to obey God in all circumstances. But someone may say, that really sounds okay, but it doesn't give me any comfort because I have failed to obey him as well. Not only have I not been able to discern a pattern in my life, but if you're going to judge me by my life and obedience, I'm going to be a failure. So you're not comforting me at all. You might be explaining why I shouldn't look for patterns, but you're not giving me any kind of comfort or consolation. I have failed. I have not obeyed God's commandments, as I should. Other people may know it. Other people may not. They don't know what's happening in my life, and I have failed. So this is, you're not bringing me in Orange Field on a Sunday night any kind, really, of comfort or hope. Galatians 4, verse 4, says this. Because Ecclesiastes is not supposed to be complete. It's an Old Testament book which is supposed to remain within certain limits. It's not trying to tell us everything. The Church of Jesus Christ must go beyond Ecclesiastes. And this is what Galatians, Paul told the Galatians. When the fullness of time had come, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons and as daughters. Because we are sons and daughters, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave. You are a son or a daughter. And if you're a son or daughter, then an heir through God. When 
the fullness of time came. Into these conditions of misery and hopelessness and meaninglessness, into that situation, the Son of God comes. And he redeems and rescues those who are under the law, that is, all the people in Old Testament times. And he adopts us as sons and daughters. So even those who have failed to obey God's commands now are given new life. Not only do I, do, do, do I, can I be liberated from the search for meaning, I can also be liberated from my failures because I'm told that in this very time, the time in which I live, God has come in the person of his son. This very time, which is futile according to Ecclesiastes, nothing new under the sun. In one respect, he writes, but in one respect is meant to be incomplete. incomplete. There is something new. The Son of God comes and deals with human sin and deals with human failure. Not only have I failed to find meaning, but I failed to be obedient, and God in Christ deals with that. And it opens up, therefore, whole new life for me. Everything becomes new. If anyone is in Christ, says Paul elsewhere, he is a new creation. And now I can begin, begin to find meaning in what I do because I do things to the glory of God. I do things as someone who's forgiven. I do things as someone who knows he or she has failed and will fail again but my life has meaning because I'm living under forgiveness. I'm living as a son or daughter of the living God, no longer as a slave. Now that gives my life meaning. So my projects may fail, my work may not work out, and death may come sooner rather than later. But the Son of God has given me new meaning because he's delivered me from this bondage of time here on earth. God has made everything beautiful in its time, says Ecclesiastes, but he's the trickster who's shown you that there is something out there, something bigger, some eternal significance, but he hasn't told you what it is. But now in Jesus we do know. Now in Jesus God has declared his hand. He, said Jesus Christ, who has seen me, has seen the Father. People talk as though God and Jesus are separate beings. The image people have of God, the image they have of Jesus is quite different. And Jesus Christ says, he who has seen me has seen the Father. Now you know what God is like. It's no longer a, a, someone who has given you a sort of thought of his existence and some things of that kind, but you can't find it out. No, it's become clear, it's become revealed, it's become open. Now my life has meaning and I can walk in the paths of his commandments. In fact, I can run in the paths of his commandments. I will stumble, I will fall, I will fail, but he is all, he'll always pick me up. Does that mean he'll give meaning to my life? Well, no, not if you mean by that that you will understand everything that happens and, and find a pattern. No, not necessarily at all. But he'll give you himself. And that is what you and I are made for. Everything is restored in Jesus Christ. So as I come to a conclusion, let me ask this question. Why 
are we looking at this? It's because I think the people inside the church as well as outside the church can despair. There's an American author called Thoreau. He wrote a book called Walden in the 19th century. And Thoreau has a line there and he says, the mass of humans lead lives of quiet desperation. Powerful line, isn't it? 19th century. The mass of humans lead lives of quiet desperation. And that happens within the churches as well as outside. Apparently, Richard Dawkins, who, as you know, is no lover of religion or Christianity, apparently this is the one book he likes, is Ecclesiastes. Because he finds it to be a bleak acknowledgement of the way things are. But, of course, he won't take the extra step of acknowledging the New Testament response to that. The mass of people lead lives of quiet desperation. Peter tells his readers that we've been born again to a living hope by the resurrection of Christ from the dead. People live in one of two ways very often. Either they live in complete despair or they live always bubbling over with hope, but it's totally unrealistic. One plan fails, so they move on to the next one. That fails, so they move on to the next one. That fails, so they move on to the next one. And you say to yourself, these people are all over the place. I mean, it's good to be cheerful, perhaps, but it's all going to collapse sometime. Peter says we are born again to a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And Paul tells us that God came in his son in the fullness of time. So with me, uh, sees this message. Ecclesiastes is meant to prod us, move us along, and take us a little bit of the way, but not all the way. That only happens with the coming of Jesus Christ and with the coming of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit comes into our hearts so that we cry, Abba, Father. Abba is an intimate word. Father. Whatever our experience of earthly fathers, this father is different, trustworthy, reliable. Let's pray together. Lord, as we worship here tonight, the hearts of many of us and the situations of our lives are hidden from the others around us and even from those closest to us. But you understand and you know. Lord, your knowledge of us could be a threat to us. But since the coming of Jesus Christ, we've known that your knowledge is the knowledge of love. You have made us as your creatures. You have redeemed us in your Son. You have sent us your Holy Spirit and all humankind you would want to bring under the embrace of your love and mercy and grace.
as we struggle to make sense of our lives. Help us not to despair. Help us to know that to walk in your ways is what gives meaning to our lives. And when we fail, Lord, and fail very, very badly, bring to our minds the forgiving love of Jesus, your Son, who died for us, took on himself the burden of our sins, and risen again from the dead, he comes and give us, gives us a living hope and new life. We submit ourselves and our circumstances to you, O Lord, in his name. Amen.